allow me to pray. Lord Jesus, we are grateful that we live in a country, at least for now, gives us the freedom to gather and the freedom to talk openly about our Creator, about the Savior of our soul, Jesus, about your plans for all of human history, for your cosmic restoration program. Lord, we, uh, I am so grateful. I've, I've traveled a lot through the years, been in a lot of different countries, and I'm always really pleased to be back home in a place where, Lord, you have sent thousands, hundreds of thousands of people bearing the gospel into various places in the world, Lord. So many hundreds of millions of dollars, billions of dollars have been given into the advancement of the Great Commission through this somewhat of a social experiment we call America. It's pretty unprecedented in, on the landscape of human history. <clears throat> so we are grateful, Lord. We're, we, You tell us to. And uh, Paul's letter to the Romans, Lord, you tell us to pray for our leaders. Uh, Lord, we pray for this country. Uh, we are in many ways in chaos. Uh, I think we all feel it in our bones. Lord, we, we know, I believe, and I believe that CRD really believes that the only way to move to a place of revival and to advancement, again, is to have a spiritual revival. Lord, we saw it in the 60s, the sexual revolution, and out of that was birthed the Jesus movement. Lord, will you birth some kind of movement, some kind of revival of spirit, some type of place where people who could not see can see, as we're going to see this morning, Lord, people who would climb down out of a tree and enter into a relationship with you. That's, that's really my only hope. And so we, we ask, Lord, that you would give us our request, Lord, that there would be a revival of spirit. And we're grateful. Amen. All righty, uh, Zacchaeus, uh, I wrote in your missive this week, I don't know if you've uh, maybe experienced what I have or did when I was, maybe most of our congregation is too young to remember, or maybe too old, maybe they hadn't, maybe they hadn't advanced to felt boards uh, by the time you got to, I'm just kidding, but do you remember the felt board with the little pictures and they'd cut out and they'd put the little things on the felt board and then you'd put Jesus and he'd kind of be walking in with his disciples and then there but I always remember <clears throat> or at least I perceive that I remember I remember the felt boards I'm assuming this was a this is a, a lot of times often relegated to a children's story the story of Zacchaeus and you kind of think about Zacchaeus and it's kind of kind of weird it's kind of adults climbing trees well, that's kind of cool that's that's a kid's story that's something a kid can buy into uh, and, then, and then something happens and Jesus has and, and this short little guy comes flying down the tree and they go eat and then, he, then you don't really remember the rest of the story. You just kind of remember the tree and you remember Zacchaeus. It's a memorable story. I would put it up there probably not in first place. That would have to be Noah's Ark with felt boards for kids. But uh, certainly Zacchaeus would be, I would say, would make Letterman's top 10, wouldn't you think? Well, I want to dive in over the next few weeks. Not sure how long this is going to last. I tried to make this point, and I'm, hope, I'm hoping you were persuaded that, you know, we have precious few encounters 
with individuals in Jesus. They are chronicled, but there are, I'm sure, many occurrences that Jesus had or, or moments that Jesus had with his own disciples that aren't recorded in Scripture. But we have a few, and we have some with, well, we have them with the elite. We have Jesus before Pilate. We have him before kings. Uh, we have Jesus before, well, blind beggars, as we've seen the last number of weeks with Bartimaeus. Now we have somewhere in between, but we have, we have Zacchaeus, and we're going to talk a little about who he was and what he represents. And I want to take this story, this story of Zacchaeus, and I want to wring it out as best we are able to try to soak up every insight we can get into the story, well, of what normally is just, oh yeah, that's the guy who climbed the tree and came down, they had, had dinner or lunch or whatever it was. Well, with Jesus, uh, there is a lot to glean from this. And I, and I hope that the Lord will open our hearts to this. I think often of the road to Emmaus, Luke chapter 24, where we will get there. And it simply says that Jesus opened their hearts to understand the scriptures. And that's my prayer today, that he would open our collective hearts to understand, not just to hear a story, but to glean something from it, to, to have something transformational that we can get out of this simple little story that doesn't last more than a few sentences in the chronicles of biblical history. Well, the story of Zacchaeus. Luke chapter 19, verse 1. He, Jesus, entered Jericho. Now remember, he, this is not, this is again, he was already in Jericho, but it, it's, it's not a problem. We look back, we looked at that a little bit. Was it the beginning of Jericho? Was it the end of Jericho? There was old Jericho, new Jericho. The fact is, he's still in Jericho, and this is still the occurrence of the same timeline that we have with Bartimaeus. So he entered Jericho, and he was passing through, and there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. <clears throat> he was a chief tax collector, chief tax collector. And he was loaded. He was loaded. <clears throat> Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was, and he was unable because of the crowd, for he was a small guy. So he ran on ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him. For he was about to pass through that way, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry down and come down, and for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly, and when they saw it, well, they all began to grumble. He's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. <clears throat> Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of all my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I find that funny. If I've defrauded, he knew exactly that he had defrauded his fellow Jews. Well, I'm going to give, four, give them four times as much as I took from them. And Jesus said to him, this is strange, because it almost sounds like he's buying his own salvation. Today, salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that 
which was lost. Now, oftentimes that last verse is repeated. For the Son of Man has come to sake, to, to save, right? Those who are lost, to look after, to seek out, uh, perfectly fulfilling what exactly the prophet Ezekiel, some 600 years before the time of Jesus had seen these new shepherds. Jeremiah had seen it in Jeremiah 23. It's gonna be these new shepherds. We talk about it often here, not like these. And there was the, well, there were the evil shepherds who were muddying the waters and, and, and messing up the message and it wasn't clear and they were forcing people to drink of this, this muddied water. And here comes the ultimate shepherd that would also serve as the lamb and the high priest, and the bread of life, and all the, all the metaphors pretty much that were used pointing towards this day were fulfilled in the person of Jesus. The reason I believe in Jesus in large part, certainly intellectually, is because, as he had explained in the road to Emmaus, it was all pointing to me, all pointing to me. Zacchaeus. Do you know what the name Zacchaeus? I did not know that till this week. I was just studying, and I'm always interested. I, I have a, I have an inquiring mind, as the as the old saying used to go. And I, I look at something. I can't just read a story. It's, I, the problem is, I did the same darn thing with the golf swing. And uh, I think it costs me more than it helped me in golf. You know, a lot of times you got to keep target focused for those of you who play golf and, and those of you who don't, what a blessing. And, uh, and uh, kind of keep your focus out there and not get too tied up in the technical. But I mean, I, I, my, my whole life I was, you know, what, what is that right pinky doing halfway down on the downswing? And, you know, what is my right heel doing? And is it, you know, I want to look like Scotty Scheffler and dance around and all that. It's, it's hard for me not to get technical, but I've found that there are some beautiful pearls that can be extracted from the scriptures. So the very thing that may have hurt me in my competitive golf career, uh, and by the way, Jeff Gove, who was part of our congregation, made the cut in the Senior Open this week, so you can watch, it, watch him this afternoon if you want to. I hope he, it's about 30th place. But uh, he and Heather back up in Idaho, but he made the cut, and Jeff had a nice balance in my view. He was able to play golf and think about it, and, but he was also a little bit, he was a good balance. I was always too much on the technical side. Let's break it down and think about it and re revisit it and think about it, and it's hard to do that and play competitive golf. But in this, it applies, and it's helpful. It's actually the thing that helps me because I'm always asking the question, well, I wonder what the name Zacchaeus even means. Do you know that the name Zacchaeus means pure now you say well does that mean that every name has a specific application well in many times it does it's not as much in our day uh, I was reading uh, from from some friends and and they had a, a daughter and it's a, and, and son and they named Clover I never heard Clover I thought that was actually beautiful uh, somebody sent that to me the other day. There's Clover and this and that. It was actually a book that I was reading by Levi Lusco. I just remembered. And then their other daughter was Lenya, who passed away as a young girl through asthma. And I'm going through this devotional with this couple of guys right now. And uh, there's some interesting names. And I always wonder, do they have any meaning? Now, we named our, our youngest daughter, middle name, Liel. It's a Hebrew name. And uh, so we started to kind of see, well, we want to name people with specificity. Now, here's the question. How in the world, how in the world, thanks AAA, how in the world, how in the world would you name Zacchaeus a name that is pure? 
He's a chief tax collector. He's the worst of the worst. The worst of the worst. Lining his pockets with the hard-earned money. Really stealing on behalf of the Roman government, the Pax Romana. I mean, this is the worst guy of all. Pure? You ever thought about that? You ever thought, well, even in your own name, you know, I'm, I'm curious because... The Bible talks about at the end that someday we'll be given a new name. Have you read that in the, in, in the Bible? It talks about being given a new name. And I remember when I was in school, maybe I've told you this story, forgive me. I repeat stories at various points. But when I was at Rice University down in Houston and we had a couple of guys and I'd kind of given my life to the Lord. I didn't know a whole lot. I became the president of this on-campus organization, which was pretty small. But we had some pretty nerdy guys, but they were so smart. And I did not fit in there. I didn't even register on their intellectual you know scale uh, but they were some pretty nerdy dudes and and uh, Steve had these coke bottle glasses and you know, his eyes looked about that big and he'd kind of look around kind of look like a bug a little bit and uh, anyway he would walk around and kind of avoiding people and always looking down and just had no self-confidence at all until you start asking questions about pretty much anything in the world I think he spoke about 88 languages but I said, man, this guy needs a little something. And so yeah, I, I decided, I read, it, read the Bible, and I saw that Jesus kind of started calling uh, Cephas Peter and, uh, you know, this rock, which means, you know, a smaller rock, but a rock. And, uh, and I'm thinking, wow, uh, you can name someone, and they can, they can live into that name. I, I, maybe that's what Jesus was doing, is that he was giving somebody a name that he— he wanted them to live into because God knows the end from the beginning. And so I, this, this guy, I decided, his name was Steve, and I said, Steve, I don't know what, when you're in college you do silly things, but I, I was like, I deem thee faith man, faith man. And I'll, I, as God is my witness, over the next six months, he, his posture changed, his head came up, he started engaging people more. He felt like part of the pack. He felt like, I, I, who knows what, maybe he had been given derogatory names growing up. I have no idea. But all of a sudden, because I just kept saying it, and then other people started saying it. Hey, faith man, hey, faith man, what's going on? Hey, faith man, you know? Faith man, all right, I got faith, man. I'm part of the pack. I'm part of the, and, and I'll be, and Steve lived into it. I don't know where he is today. I don't know what he's doing, but he lived into it. I'm wondering, I'm asking the question as I break this down, why in the world would you call Zacchaeus pure? Of course, the first example that came to my mind was Gideon. Many of you know the story. Did God give Gideon a name that he had called him to live into well before he was, well, exactly he did. And I want to tell you this morning that I believe God's given you a name that you may not know, but you can access in the spirit. And, and I don't, I'm not talking about a, you would literally know every name that God's going to give you, but you can have a sense of the destiny in your own name uh, that, that, that God's given. And it may be, you know, like teacher, you know, Jamie Winship, which we had here one time still. I mean, you look, you got on YouTube when he was here. He's had, I think he's had over 17,000 views of when he spoke here. 
And I was just, I'm, Jamie's just, and they're about to make a movie after Jamie's life. Some of you remember Jamie's story. It was ex- extraordinary. If you haven't seen that, go back to Church of the Red Door on YouTube or something. Look up Jamie Winship. It's powerful. Jamie talks a lot about names, a lot about living into the destiny that God's called you for, into. I think about Gideon in Judges chapter 6, Judges chapter 6, verse 11. Let me read the story. Then the angel of the Lord came and set it in the oak that was at uh, Oprah, which belonged to Joash, the Abzirite. And, he, and his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press in order to save it from the Midianites. Pretty valiant, right? The Midianites are going to, they're going to attack us, and I, I've got to make sure that they don't find this weed, and we've got to get this hidden and all this. I mean, this wasn't attack the Midianites. This was let's make sure that they don't take it all. See if we can't save some of this. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. That does something to me. Warrior? He was hiding. Valiant? Really? Zacchaeus? Pure? Are you kidding me? Anything but. Steve? Faith man. But over time. Over time. I think a lot of people just get distracted by life and and you get beat up in this life and it's hard to have, it's hard to feel encouraged. People step on you and they step on you and they step on you and you just feel like you're always at the, on the short end of the stick and, and Jesus is there to say, why don't you come down from that tree and I'm gonna call you into your destiny. Now this is not just some I'm not trying to make this into something that it is not, right? I'm not just a motivational speaker. I mean, we, we really, we're so central on Jesus and his atonement and his, and the gospel in itself is not just about you having, fulfilling all your dreams, but you do have a destiny. And often you'll find that your destiny may or may not have been your dream. And we talk about that a lot. A lot of times that has, God has to come in and you pick up your cross and follow him and you die to some of those dreams that were birthed in the flesh, birthed out of insecurity, birthed to try to get power or fame or recognition or money or whatever. And he's got to break that down, but he will give you a new destiny. And the name that the very purpose for which he created you, he created Gideon to be a valiant warrior, but he was anything but a valiant warrior. Anything but a valiant warrior. And Gideon said to him, Oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, first of all, I don't even know if God's with us on this deal. Why then has all this happened to us? That is a great question that Gideon asks, isn't it? If you're if I'm a valiant warrior, and if you're like with us and my whole clan here, why all of this? Many of you, maybe, maybe you're watching by television or you're, maybe you're watching just on YouTube years later. Well, I don't know. But somehow you're like, wait a minute. 
You don't know all the garbage that's happened in my life. If God, if God really has called me into something like this, if there is a destiny for me and I'm not just some random chance of the cosmos, if, if that's really true, Jeff, then why has all this happened? As it's got, you don't even know what's gone down in my life. Why did my spouse leave me? Why, did my, why do I have cancer? Why, 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 did my, why did my father sexually abuse me? Why, why, why have I always, why did I lose my job? I mean, I was doing a great job, and I, just, I was just axed out of just nowhere. I mean, it was just, you know, cuts, and then I look up, and I see the CEO, and he's buying a new uh, mansion in Aspen for $35 million, and I got axed. I mean, where are you in all this? What do you mean, valiant warrior? I'm just trying to get by. Anything I can do to get by. I don't even have enough faith barely to get by, pay the bills and get up the next morning and you're calling me into some valiant warrior? I think I'll change the channel. I mean, that's kind of where he was. We're all the miracles which our fathers told us about saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Do you feel abandoned today? Do you feel as if God is just evacuated? Have you maybe even bought into the idea that there is no God and that there is no purpose? I think that's where Gideon was. I mean, as evidenced by this. I mean... I think he was already having an existential crisis. I think he already questioned his own existence, whether or not God existed at all. Why and why and why and where are you? And I mean, I mean, yeah, I, maybe your parents talked about the miracles or something, but you sure haven't seen anything in your lifetime. And then he leads with O Valiant Warrior. How do you lead like that? Aren't there about 8,000 steps that need to happen before God would call you a valiant warrior? You don't even know if you believe in God. Then it says, the Lord looked at him. By the way, that's very significant. The Lord looked at him. Who is this, the angel of the Lord? Most theologians believe that this is a theophany, that this is a Christophany. This is a... This is an emergence of Jesus pre-incarnate as the angel of the Lord because it's an angel, but it's the Lord. And he says, the Lord looked at him and said, go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? And he said to, oh Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold my family. And he's going to start arguing again. Valiant, warrior, really, me, no way. Uh-uh, my family's the least in all of Manasseh, the least. And I'm the youngest in my father's house. I mean, he is reverse doing this, right? He's giving the, here's my resume that you cheated on. He's cheating to the downside, right? Here's my resume. I'm the youngest in my family, so is David. Well, other than one. But I'm the youngest in my family. We're the least of the tribes. We're, we're under attack. We hadn't seen you do anything. I don't even know if I believe in you. And the lead is O Valiant Warrior? That's ridiculous. 
or is it? Is that what God does? He calls out in you. Well, maybe if I was a young man or a young woman and I had my whole life in front of me, maybe I'd buy into this valiant warrior mantra. I'd have time to turn the Titanic around before it's, but you know, I'm a little bit older now and I've already retired or whatever, you know, wherever you are in your stage of life, this can happen at any moment, at any time. God can call out your name in your spirit, whether or not you have a literal name or not, at least a sense of giftedness and calling and a missional community and a people to be reached, which we talk about all the time. If all those components are not somewhere in your brain, you will you will wander aimlessly through this life. If you don't know who you're called to, who your gifting is, that you have a missional community that you're involved in and that your whole heart is there, it's gonna be difficult to walk into your destiny. But he's already given you a name full, packed full of destiny. And it's pure and it's valiant. And it's warlike in the sense of battling in the unseen realm certainly was for these two it was the same with Jeremiah again knowing the end from the beginning I mean I again this this new kind of liberalized idea of God kind of responding to events on the earth and all this silly liberal nonsense that makes no sense of the sovereignty the predestination of God's timelessness and his his independence from time and space if you if you don't understand that you're going to have a god that's very small that's very controllable that's very containable you don't want that you want a god like we saw in that second worship song that just goes and a galaxy uh, you know appears out of and then trillions of galaxies i mean you want that god you don't want some god that's so like oh well i didn't think of that well, let me respond over here and uh, yeah there's a little anthropomorphized scripture occasionally in scripture where god says it changes his mind and things like that that's just trying to help us understand god and some of his ongoings but i promise you that god is not reactionary god is a catalyst god is an initiator and as i prayed when we started Please understand that I believe that because of God's power, sovereignty, and predestination, he can initiate through grace a revival because I don't have a whole lot of hope on a lot of fronts in our own nation today, but I have confidence in him. Confidence in him. He's my hope. Not a polit political sea change. Not, there's, I have no hope for any of that. It's absurd what we're seeing in many corridors of our government. It's ridiculous. And again, I'm not making a, an overt political statement one way or the other on both sides of the aisle. It's nauseating to me to see the wishy-washy stuff that goes on, and I just think I had no hope for our country, but I have hope in God. He can call out our destiny, not only individually, but as a nation. He did it for Jeremiah. Listen to Jeremiah chapter one, verse four. Now the word of the Lord came saying to me, Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you as a prophet to the nations before you were even born. You think Jeremiah had a name before a destiny before he was even born well right here it says that he does 
I don't know where you are in your life. Maybe you've been walking into your destiny for a period of time and there, there are next levels that you've been challenged to do and you needed this message just to kind of revitalize the, the name that you know that you have already begun to live into. Maybe you've never even contemplated it or know this or think about this or think about these things or maybe you're where Gideon was. He said, I, I can't believe it. I got nothing, nothing at all going for me. Are you telling me there's a name? I'm telling you there is a name made possible by the sponsorship of our glorious sponsor, Jesus himself. It's not just you walking into some wonderful thing. It's through the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus that it's even possible. That it's even possible. I wonder if, I wonder if there could be kind of a reverse reality here. I was thinking about this week. It's kind of an odd way to think about it. But I'm going to take you to Matthew chapter 3, and I'm going to explain what I'm thinking about here. Matthew 23, verse 27. You'll remember this well. It's Jesus' accusation. Remember in the story of Zacchaeus, some were grumbling about this. They were angry that he was going to be with this sinner. Jesus would describe in Matthew 23 a number of woes over these religious leaders. Verse 27 says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside, well, they appear beautiful, spotless, fantastic, looking good. You're actually using your gym membership. You're actually paying attention to those sales down at Macy's and get that new suit, right? <laughs> I mean, you're, you're spiffed up. You're looking good. The problem is, on the inside, they're full of dead men's bones and all kinds of uncleanness. And so you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. I wonder if there's a reverse reality available to those that will believe into Jesus. What if you aren't the whitewashed tombstone? What if you just look like a tombstone? Right? Just a tomb. You just look like a dead trap. Your whole life looks like a disaster. You look horrible. What about a reverse reality? Rather than looking good on the outside and being dead on the inside, what if you look dead on the outside and you have a beautiful opportunity to be alive and, well, born again on the inside? I read an author once and he said, you know, there's kind of like this bubble which you can think of. And, I, and again, I don't believe that, you know, lose your salvation and you're in, the out, in one day, out the next and all that. I mean, I believe in the sanctity and the beauty of the salvation of the believer and even through our ups and downs. So don't get me wrong, but there is in some ways a circle. And sometimes it looks like people are on the inside, but they're kind of actually moving out. They're, they're actually moving into heresy and don't even believe in Jesus anymore. And but they appeared to be in that circle at once. And there's other who, who are at that moment, if you were to take a snapshot and go, oh, those people are way outside the circle, but they already are moving. They're in a direction towards. So who's saved and who's not saved? It's not as easy to say, well, if you do this and this and this, and this and this you're saved God's cosmic restoration process is taking guys like Zacchaeus that look like the worst of the worst and believe it or not they're already on their way to Jesus 
There is no, to me, there is no explanation why he would respond like that. It was unprompted. It's not like Jesus sat down and said, okay, Zacchaeus, if you want salvation to come to your house today, here are a few things you need to do. And I'm gonna start with your finances. I mean, I'm sure this has been preached through the years in a way that like, look, if you really wanna come to the Lord, here's some things you need to do because we gotta build a building back here, right? So I'm gonna go ahead and overlay this onto my congregation. He wasn't prompted at all. It was a reflection. It was a reflection of what had already probably started. Why did he wanna see Jesus so badly anyway? Why did he rush down there and climb that tree? Why did any of that occur at all? Because something was drawing him. It was like a, it was like, it was like a magnet pulling him already. Even on the outside, he's still a lousy, cheating tax collector. Not only a tax collector, a chief tax collector. His destiny in Christ was drawing him before he even knew who Jesus really was. I've said this before, but if you don't understand this in concept, you know, we have Lynx Fellowships all over the country. Many of you know I'm involved in that. We, uh, may I just say, you know, that building is also, we talk about it often, it'll be a home for Lynx uh, in many ways. I, I envision training leaders from around the world to go back into their places. This is a very niche kind of ministry. I really believe that that's gonna happen. I believe that's gonna happen. And obviously it's gonna be Church at the Red Door, but we're gonna, it's gonna be a real symbiotic relationship. And in many ways, many of you have been a byproduct of that ministry of links here in the valley that have then decided to come to Church at the Red Door. I believe with all my heart that as we see that thing explode, because it's exploding already, it's exploding. I mean, we're seeing new fellowships virtually every single day. We have a call tomorrow. It's just, it's just everywhere. I was on a, hour and a half Zoom call this week. And, and they were just saying, man, we were just begging us to come, you know, begging us to come in and start one. And then in some of my old haunts, an Aspen, we might even have one at Aspen, Colorado. It's just unbelievable, these places. And then when we go in Illahi, which is, was alluded to, and then I'm, I'm gonna go from, from there in Montana, I'm going up to Idaho. It looks like three new ones are, are being birthed just in a matter of time. And this is, this is just, in the, just in the Southwest and the Northwest. I'm even talking about the women's groups that are breaking out in the Texas and Louisiana and all over the Southeast, all over Atlanta and different places. And now, even this last week, Michigan and, and how is this happening? It just, it's just extraordinary. I, I tell you where it started. It started with the worst. I mean, I look back at the leaders, and I'm, I'm, I won't say leaders. I'll say leader in this case. And I don't take credit for what God is doing, by the way. I do not take credit, irrespective of my title in the organization. This is a, this is a long run of many godly men and women who've laid down their lives to to get links going. But I will say for my part, as it related to my start, chief tax collector. I mean, you, you could throw me right in, if not under that. The worst of the worst. And Jesus spoke a word into my heart and planted a vision. It didn't come overnight. It took months and months to really to feel through, but then I knew I could see that. And then watching that thing, I'm like, it feels like, it feels like. And every day is difficult. I have challenges that are incomprehensible in my life right now, but it feels like 
And I think there's evidence of walking into the name that was given me when I wasn't that at all. And I promise you, I'm not all that now. And I still got a lot of growth to go. So don't take this as some pious, you know, pat myself on the back kind of thing. Every day is a struggle to follow Jesus every day. But, but I'm walking into the name that was given me before I was in my mother's womb. Now, that's, is that just true for a few or is that true for us all? Ephesians 2 said that you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked. Well, if we're all dead and we can all come to life, if we're all dead, then are there only a few that have a hope of a destiny? Or maybe just get saved just enough to get in? Or do we all have a destiny? You have a name. How will you know that name? Here, live in it. Don't own a Bible and not open it. Read it for yourself from, from cover to cover. Wear it out. Live in it. Read it. Own it. You say, prayer's difficult for me. Great. Then here's your first prayer of the day. Prayer's difficult for me. Oh, that was your prayer. God, prayer's really difficult for me. I can't, I, can't, I got ADHD, I got this and that. I can't sit still for more. I pray for two minutes and I'm already wandering off and thinking about other things. Lord, I, I have a hard time praying. Well, then tell him that and keep telling him that. And then be specific. And now you can add something to that. Do you have a name for me? Is there a name? Is there a destiny that you have for me in Christ? I don't care if you're 90 years old or if you're 20 years old or 10 years old. Josiah, I mean, I think about Josiah. Josiah was eight years old. And he reigned for 31 years. He was the 16th king of the tribe of Judah. Now, that's an early call. There's a name written in the books for you. How bad do you want it? How bad would you, would you climb a tree for it? We're going to look in future weeks. And it was, that is an extraordinary response without even being prompted. I've, ne I've just never seen. We see the rich young ruler. Oh, let me think about that. And no, I don't know if I can do that and this and that. I mean, this, is, this even surpasses. I mean, I, for me, in closing, I can even see the fishermen, you know, Peter and these guys. And they're out there and they're smelling like not so good. And, and they're getting out of the boats and, and they... And then Jesus and is famous and, you know, and I can see maybe them dropping their nets immediately. Somehow that makes sense. That was still an extraordinary, beautifully, beautiful act of faith. But for a rich guy who's hated to come down and without prompting, essentially give his whole future away, the very thing that he had worked for, is to me one of the most extraordinary responses in all of Scripture. You think that just happened that day? Or was God pulling him and involved in the naming of Zacchaeus? I think, yeah, I think God was engaged with Zacchaeus in his mother's womb. Hmm. You know? 
as the old Pentecostals would say, ooh, I feel the Spirit, you know? I mean, really, that's a powerful thought. Could it be true? Could it be true?